Awesome. Uh, welcome to the well. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. Pastor Alex is, uh, his wife's in labor, so pray for her. Uh, she's in labor. They're going to have a baby uh, uh, today, hopefully, Lord willing. Uh, safety of that, their third child. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and so if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. Uh, one of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you, uh, and so we want you to have it. And so we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. That's typically what we do. And so we've been in a book called 1 Corinthians, and so we're going to finish chapter, uh, we're going to uh, wrap up a section of Scripture in chapter 11 today. Uh, next week, however, we are going to start a, a new sermon series, uh, and so we're going to take a pause from 1 Corinthians and, and study the spiritual disciplines uh, of Christians and, and God's church throughout the summer, and then we're going to come back in the fall and finish Corinthians uh, looking at spiritual gifts. So that's kind of where we're headed, and that's what's up and coming. And so uh, lately, uh, we, uh, we've been in, I, well, we, I have been in uh, a hot water because, um, uh, you know, we're just preaching the Bible. We're just telling you what it says. And so I want you to know this. This is, the, the, the job of the preacher is to, to not only explain the text as it is written, but also make application to our, our day and age and our culture. And right now, if you haven't looked around, um, uh, it, this, the world we live in is a fire. Uh, and so today, trigger warning ahead of time, um, because we're just going to pour more fuel in the fire, uh, not because we, we're trying to create conflict, but because God's word uh, is, is telling us to. Um, what I mean by that is uh, the, the subject we're talking about today, we're looking at traditions, we're looking at authority, we're also looking at gender roles. These are things in our society and our culture um, that uh, uh, rub against the biblical wisdom of God, rubs against the wisdom of the world. And so if you look at the screen real quick, uh, I want to start with this. We, this is important for us to understand. The world we live in, it's wisdom. It's highest being. The highest being in the world that we live in, according to the, the non-Christian culture around us, is the highest being is the, the self, the human self. You, according to the world's wisdom, are the highest being, um, and, to, and so everything must and ought to revolve around you. Um, the Bible, however, says that the highest being is God. Everything revolves around God. He's the creator God. He, he created everything, uh, and he is the one who it, we submit to and, and we look to. Uh, in in, our, in the, the greater culture, the non-Christian world around us, it says that the highest value is pride. Happy June. Like that's, we know this, it's all over the place. That is the highest value is pride. Is the, it's, this is the, the, the epitome of what it means when the self is the highest being. Uh, this is, it. for sin is pride. We think that we are God, we are the, the highest being, and therefore pride is the highest value of our culture. Whereas in the, according to the scriptures and in God's kingdom, humility is actually the highest value. Um, the highest virtue in our society and culture abroad or around us is self-fulfillment. Um, and we talked about last week, the highest virtue of, uh, uh, according to the scriptures, is God's glory. So we're not seeking primarily to fulfill ourselves uh, in a way that's apart from the glory of God. So the path we're to choose to take is the path that brings the most glory to God. And that is the objective and the highest virtue of a Christian. What brings God the most glory? Not what is easiest, not what is the most fun, what, not what is the most self-fulfilling, but what is... Uh, God, what is, brings God the most glory? Actually, truthfully, when we follow things according to God's word, will, and ways, uh, we are fulfilled when God is most glorified. And so, um, lastly, on this uh, little diagram thing is uh, freedom is found in our culture in independence. 
And so some of you are like, yeah, independence. And yeah, I, I get you. But uh, in the Bible, we see true freedom is found is in interdependence. And what I mean by that is if you think about a, a kite, uh, uh, if a kite flying on a kite string, the, the fact that the kite is tethered to a string actually creates true freedom. That the freedom to be able to fly, soar, move about is, is all because the kite is tied to a string and then that there is, a, there is someone wielding, using, uh, and, and leading that kite in order for it to f- thrive and flourish. And so for the Christian, it's the same thing. We are interdependent beings. We are dependent on God, one another. And we're going to talk about how he's designed that in the context of family, relationships, the church. Um, and so... We are inter- interdependent beings. I want you to see that uh, a t- if a kite was uh, to say, wow, I'm, I'm tied to a string, this is oppressing, this is, uh, this, this, this is just keeping me from being free, what would we say? We'd look at it and go, well, you can't do anything. You're just laying on the ground. The kite can't do anything apart from the string and the wind. The Christian and, and human man, and mankind can't do anything apart from the, the mercy and grace of God. And we need the Spirit of God, the wind of God, to blow on our lives, give us life and, and, and vitality. And so true freedom is actually found in submission to God, His Word, will, and ways. And so that's what we're about. So if you're guests with us, that sums up the past several weeks. Um, uh, and, and so I want to remind us of those things and keep those in mind. I'll refer, I may reference them along the way. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at verse 2 through 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We look at it talks about tradition, talks about authority, talks about some gender roles. Um, and so what I'm going to do is, is just go verse by verse. I'm going to speak to these verses as I go. And so probably about half the sermon. And then I'm going to pull out three, uh, three different themes and make some application for us holistically as a, as a church. And so um, verse 2, it says, Now I commend you. Because, so first off, if you've been with us for First Corinthians for a while, this is the first time, like, Paul is commending them. Like, they're not in trouble. This is like, I'm commending you. Good news, finally. Uh, they've been in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. Um, I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. So he's saying the traditions aren't bad. I need you to know all traditions are not bad. Traditions are not bad. Um, and, and we're going to talk about the tradition here. They're talking about the tradition of a head covering. So we're going to get into that. But what I want you to understand, so it's important for us to understand your traditions. So this is, what the lar- this is why a lot of people have issues with traditions. It's because people will, will have traditions and not know why. They're like, I follow this tradition, I have this tradition, and they just don't know why they're doing what they're doing. You're like, well, I just do it because we do it. I, I just do it because the, 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 the church told me to. I just do it to mom because this is how my mom, dad, my aunt, uncle, my, my, my grandmother practice. We just, we're just following traditions, and we don't know why. They could be really, really, really great traditions and very important. But if you don't know why, they have no meaning to you. And Paul wants to, them to not only just uh, to, to see the traditions that they're following and, and show them, hey, commend them for it, but he also wants them to understand why. It's super important to understand the why behind traditions. And so the tradition that they're speaking to is a head covering, and he roots this now in, uh, in, in creation. He says that the, understand this, understand this, church, that the head of every man is Christ. So men in here, you have a head, you have an authority over you. His name's Jesus Christ. The head of every wife is her husband. The head of every, uh, and, and the head of Christ is God, God the Father. This is where some folks will immediately start to, to get upset um, uh, because he's, ta- he's talking here, though, about authority and headship and honoring the head that is over you. 
So men, you're to honor Christ. Wives, you are to honor your, your husbands. Uh, Jesus himself is in submission to God the Father. See, you still see this interdependent relationship between uh, uh, God's created order. And so this is, I need you to see, this is countercultural in our day. Like this rubs against a lot of what you maybe grew up or think or even feel right now. Um, but additionally, it's countercultural in the church in Corinth. Some of us think that, oh man, well, they must just understand this. Like they were, this is just how society was. I need you to see that the pagan Corinthian culture was, they saw Zeus as the highest, you know, form of a man, which he was a misogynistic womanizer, and uh, according to tradition, and so that's what the men were like. It, it, Paul is not commending them for that. He's saying that the church, man, you're actually acting different than the culture. It, the church is setting a counterculture, uh, a biblical culture, in the context of the pagan culture that they live in. So I want us to see that. And so I want us to see, furthermore, that men and women are both have equal dignity and value, but they are different. I know that may be surprising in our world today, but they are different, and they are complements. They complement one another, just like God the Father and God the Son are different. They're the, they, 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 there's equal in value, different functions here. They're complementing one another. So I don't want you to see that this, this is some social hierarchy that's imp implemented, that's some way supposed to demean women and, and ele elevate men to an a ungodly position. Please see here that every man is submitted to Christ. He is the head. The wife is submitted to her husband, and, and even Jesus himself is submitted to God the Father. Uh, when everything plays out well like that, we're all flying high like, like on a kite string, like a kite in the air, and it's awesome. It's glorifying. But sin, what sin does is it cuts the string, it, it pierces the, the kite, and we go flying down into ruin. And so um, let's continue. Verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies uh, with his head covered dishonors his head. I'll say this. We're going to talk more about spiritual gifts, what praying or what prophecy means later on in Corinthians. So I'm not going to get into all the details of what he's saying. But one of the things that he is saying is, is when... Um, the, the, the gift of prophecy or, or the, 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 the position of a prophet here in the New Testament is one who says, just like the Old Testament, hey, this is what God says. We all got to submit to it. So the preaching office is often a, a prophetic uh, uh, a moment where we're saying, hey, this is what God says. We all got to obey. And so what he says here is that if a man who prays and prophesies with his head covered, uh, he, he dishonors his head. Who's his head? Christ. Um, I want you to see he is... He is not talking about uh, simply uh, wearing a hat. I'll get into that in a moment. But every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since, uh, since it is the same as if her head were, were shaven. So what he's saying here, that there's this cultural custom that, uh, of a head covering uh, or, or a veil. And it, in this cultural custom of a veil is signifying something. It's signifying something for the wife, not for the husband. It's signifying something for the wife that she is one, a wife to a husband, that she, she's married. So meaning the single women are not uh, in, in the same position uh, uh, with this, this, this cultural symbol or this cultural custom. Number two, it, it means that when her head is covered, she agrees with God. So that's the first two things we need to see, that, that this, this, for them, this cultural symbol uh, is saying, number one, I have my, I'm a wife, and I agree with God that my husband is the head. That's the first two things that we, we see, that she's in agreement with God and therefore in submission to her husband. 
And so what he's saying here, and when he talks about a, a, a dude with a, his head covered, what he's saying is a dude who acts like a woman dishonors Jesus. He's not talking about wearing a hat. He's not talking about, he's talking about either, one, you acting like a woman, and like the women have their head covered, and so like, you know, the dudes are going to wear it. What do you mean, you know, th th then you're dishonoring God. Or there was a pagan practice in which the, uh, the, 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 the Roman or the Greco-Roman world, they were in their togas, they would, uh, 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 in some of the pray, their pagan prayer rituals, the men would cover their head uh, with their tassels, and it would be this type of uh, paying homage in, in, in prayer position. What he's saying is we don't bring pagan prayer practices into the church, and men don't act, act like women. Those are both dishonoring to Jesus. He's making that point very clear. That, that in the same way that if a woman is saying, hey, I know I'm married, but you know what? I'm going to disrespect my husband publicly. A man who acts like a woman is disrespecting Jesus, dishonoring him. And he, to do it in the church, he's like, that's forbidden. He says, this is, I'm just telling you the news. Men who act like women dishonor God. And so for a wife, uh, he says, verse 6, if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. I think it's important to also see that the Corinthian women are not being obstinate in this. He is, because remember, he commends them. He is saying, however, uh, if, if you might get there, if you want to get there, um, a, a, a wife who, who would uncover her head, um, she, who, uh, this is a woman who, 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 a wife who's being stubborn or obstinate, saying, you know what, I don't need a man in my life. I, I don't, men don't, my husband doesn't rule over me. He's not, I am an independent, you know, American female woman. Like, this is, this is who I am. I don't need a man in my life. God is wrong, and I am not in submission to him, and he is not my head. That is dishonoring. So much so, he says, you should just cut your hair off because you're acting like a dude. That's what she, he, he's saying. You're like, this is the guy, right? This is the, in the Bible. I need you to see this. But since it is disgraceful, he's not saying none of, he says not saying that any of the women are doing that. He's also not saying that different hairstyles and hair length show uh, holiness or anything. I need you to see this. He's not saying like, just because you have your length of hair says anything. What he is simply saying is speaking to the heart of an obstinate woman who would say, I don't want, I, I will not agree with God. So, since, uh, but since it's disgraceful for her to cut her hair or, or to shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought to not cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Meaning, uh, man is to reflect God, uh, and then woman is to reflect man. So meaning, oftentimes you can see how, how a husband is, what kind, type of husband he is, by the glory of his wife. And so, we'll continue in that here in a moment. But it's important for us to remember that this doesn't seem to be an issue for the Corinthian church. He's commending them, but he's also giving him uh, a practice to implement in the future. So, he's projecting maybe some of our times that may be coming in our day. And so, the woman is dishonoring her husband uh, without this customary head covering because according to the custom of this time, she, by removing the veil or the head covering, she is saying, I'm not associating myself with my husband. I'm, I'm single. It's like, a, it's like a wife taking off her ring in front of her husband. And go, you know what? We're going to hang out socially, but just let everyone know I don't have a ring on my finger. Wild. That, that, that would be really disrespectful, right? Dishonoring. Similarly, that's what would be happening in this context. And so you got to see Paul uh, uh, not saying that she can't ever have her hair down or like, you know, not 
she has to have a head covering at all times. He's talking right here specifically about uh, when the, a woman is serving in the church or publicly praying. That's what he is, or prayer in, in, in this public sphere is what he's speaking to. Additionally, he's reminding us or showing us that a man is dishonoring his head uh, when he covers himself and his head being Christ. He's dishonoring Jesus, not his physical head. Jesus Christ is dishonoring him when he decides to act like or dress like or submit to any sort of pagan uh, cultural norm for worship and or any pagan cultural norm for, for gender. He switches his gender. It's disgraceful. That's what he is saying. So what he means this is men should look like men and act like men. Women should look like women and act like women. Bizarre concept, I get it, but it's what he's saying. Verse 8, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. So now he's root, continuing to root his arguments in creation. Adam was created out of the, the earth, and then Eve was created out of Adam's side or rib. That's how she was created. So Paul's saying that what, what's going on here is rooted in creation. And so neither was man created for woman, but woman was created for man. That will rub against us as well in our culture. Eve was created for Adam. That's what the text says. We're told that the wife is to be the helper to her husband. Before we get too offended by that, I need to remind us, and I say this every time I make this point, is that you don't need to be offended, ladies, uh, that if you're a, a wife, that you're the helper. Guess who else is the helper? God, the Holy Spirit. Really awesome dude. Like, he empowered Jesus for his life and ministry. Without the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus, we don't have what we see in the life and ministry of Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't have understanding of the Scriptures. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't have conviction of sin. Without the Holy Spirit, people aren't drawn to the Father and are saved. Without the Holy Spirit, we got, we're broke. We need God, the Holy Spirit, to move. We need a helper. So ladies, when you're called the helper or, or, or a woman uh, and the wife is particularly the helper to her husband, this is not a degrading term, but an honoring term. The Holy Spirit shares his title with you. Just like men, God the Father shares his title with you as a father. And for us brothers in Christ together, we share Jesus' title as well as a son. Verse 10. That's why a wife ought to have the symbol of authority on her head because of the angel. So see this? He's saying this is why. It's, he's rooting it in creation. But then he throws this little phrase in there, because of the angels. And theologians get all, you know, weirded out by this. What does this mean? Now we're bringing in angels? Are angels here while we're at corporate worship? Yes, actually, they are. You just can't see them. This is something that most uh, Christians have far little uh, imagination for. Uh, we don't just live in a physical world. We live in a physical world, and, and there's a spiritual world as well. In the unseen realm, right now, there are angels. And angels are not these little puffed-up, fat-looking uh, you know, babies with wings. They're warriors. They're warriors. They're helpers also to the mission and glory of Jesus. This is, any time in the scripture when an angel shows up, everyone gets scared. It's like, you know, a dude coming off the battlefield, you know, like, oh, that guy, like, might hurt me. Yeah, an angel could. They're powerful. And, and, and they're, they're, they're protecting, they're, they're serving at the pleasure of King Jesus. And so we show up to church, angels show up to church too. They love worshiping. And so I want you to see when he's saying this, he, he's, he's saying that when we, we gather, the point about the angels is not that this is some... Um, 
we're gonna we're gonna uh, now communicate with angels and now angels like we gotta make sure how are they doing in the church. What he's saying is that uh, when, when God's people gather, there is there's this reality that we're not just playing dress up, playing church. We're practicing for heaven. That that the culture here in the church should be a culture that reflects the kingdom, not the culture around us. That even the angels are in submission to to Jesus and His kingdom and His leadership. And so there should be a type of order in in God's church as well. So he continues and says, Nevertheless, the, the, in the Lord, the woman is not independent of a man, nor man of a woman. So again here, we see this interdependence here. He's using, the, we're not independent, we're interdependent. How so? He says, verse 12, For as a woman was made from man, so woman came from man, so man is now born from woman. All things are from God. So, so, this is not an oppressive social hierarchy, but rather in, in order to which God created things. God created Adam, and out of Adam he created Eve, and out of Eve became all, she became the mother of all living. So men need women, and women need men in order to procreate, create life, and have flourishing in the world. Two genders, one man, one woman, we're interdependent, collectively together, complement one another. It's rooted in nature. And it's clear. It's not, it's not unclear in the scriptures, despite what other people will say. And so another way to say it is when he's saying that so from man, uh, so, so, so man now is born of woman, what he's saying is all mankind comes from woman. Women. Only women can have babies. This is actually at odds with the world and culture we live in. And for some of us, you're like, this is insane. And it is insane. But I need us to see when Christians are like, well, I don't know. You should know. The scriptures say it clearly. And, and part of this is equipping us to go, how do we handle these conversations? Some of us, when we're interacting in the world, we go, man, we're, we're led to doubt. Man, is, I heard a preacher say recently that, you know, I just, I, if I was with God, maybe I would have created uh, multiple genders. Maybe, and I was just like, what? He's like, yeah, you know, he was, he was trying to appeal to his, his, his audience, I guess. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's just, ah, it rubs me weird too. It shouldn't. It's clear. Male, female, historically, biblically, accurately, always. Male and female, men cannot have babies. Women can. This, is, this should really offend the feminists, I really think, that when, if, if a, like when it's male of the year or woman of the year and it's like a transitioned dude, it's like, okay, well, no longer uh, men are winning women's awards now when men win women's uh, sports accolades. Like, what we're doing is saying that women, you have no value and you have no worth unless you're a dude who can become a woman. This is, a, this is spitting on the image and glory of God. It just should infuriate you. Not that you're infuriated at uh, individuals and you want to hurt or harm them. What you, you should be infuriated with the ideology that would say that this is normal, okay, and should be propagated and spread and agreed upon at the, the, the culture at large. This is devaluing women. If you value women, you're like, no, 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 no. You get the baby thing and having babies, and we can't do that. And so, man, if your wife has had a child, so we're going to tell this to Pastor Alex because his wife's about to, is having one right now, you know, yes, you can't do that, bro. So you should love and serve her after the fact in ways that, you know, she's going to need your help. And so 
He says in verse 13, Judge for yourself if it is proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered. Again, he's talking about the, the culture, custom, and meaning like, is it okay that a wife would just take off her wedding ring and say, you know what, husband, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Uh, let me just grab the microphone and lead, lead the way. That's not what he, so that's, what, that's the context. Verse 14, does not nature, nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him. And so now we're like, okay, what about long hair? You know, this is the one verse that doesn't apply to me anymore. Um, it used to. I, I you know, have, used to have long hair, and now God said, you know, you're a disgrace. I'm just kidding. Uh, what he is not talking about is long hair. In, in the sense that that uh, hair length, again, is not the, the standard of beauty or the standard of, of, of holiness. What he is saying, again, is dudes should not act like women. That's what he's saying. How do we know this? Well, because God commands it. Uh, he commands from time to time for men to grow out their hair long. The, uh, part of the Levite's vows, part of the Nazarite vow, was that a man, like, Samson was not allowed to cut his hair. It was a disgrace when Samson cut his hair cut by Delilah, correct? If you remember that, it was a disgrace. That was dishonoring. Him having long hair was not the disgrace. God told him to do that. Simply what he's stating here is that nature tells us that men and women are different and uh, should be distinguished by how they, they, they dress and how they appear, uh, and we should make distinctions. So this whole movement to blur the lines and everything's gender neutral is demonic. It is. I'm not saying you can't wear gender neutral colors or uh, what I'm simply saying is the, the goal to make everything blurred is not of God. And so the issue here is that men should act like men and women should act like women. Again, both are glorious. Both are awesome. Uh, both are, uh, have dignity and value and worth, and they complement one another. In verse 15, he says, but if a woman has long hair, is, her, is, is it her glory? Like, meaning, like, it is glorious, and her hair is given to her as a covering. See, it's awesome. Great long hair, cool hair. This is awesome. What he is simply saying is that uh, uh, creation proves, both in the male and female, that we are different and should look different. Um, and we should express ourselves differently, complimenting but also distinct. But our culture wants to suppress this truth, and that is evil. What, what, and more so, they're saying that everything I just said, our culture says everything I just said, I'm evil. The Bible's evil. To say these things are evil. We're not living in a world of just we agree to disagree, but we live in a world that, that says it is evil if you propagate and promote that there are two genders, and they have gender norms. You're the evil one. And so right now we live in a culture where I'll take the heat for, for saying it, but I need you to know it's coming one day when every Christian in our nation will, will ha be, be pitted to answer the question, do you submit to Jesus or will you submit to the culture? And it may come at, at cost to your job, to your friendships, it's what's happening in Corinth as well. Eventually, Paul's taking hits. We've seen it. He's being persecuted. And he's saying later that, hey, persecution is coming for you guys as well. And so he says this, if anyone is inclined to be contentious or want to get in a heated argument or disagree with me, we have no such practices, nor do the churches of God. So if you want to get into a fight, you want to argue about this, just so you know, the, ch the churches don't do anything contrary to what God's word says. So men act like men in God's church. Women act like women in the church of God. And so therefore we are a counterculture, a city within a city, displaying the glory of God, and we're different. Okay? That's it. So now let's, now let's make some application. With, I'm going to pull out three themes from this. Hopefully I covered more, answered some of your questions about can a dude have long hair? 
Sure, as long as not trying to be a woman. Can a woman have a shorter hair? Sure, as long as she's not trying to be a man. Like, can you wear a hat? Yeah, but if you're trying to, if can you, can you take off your wedding ring? Yes, but if you're doing it to like, you know, work out, it's one thing. If you're doing it to say, hey, I'm working out, and I want all the men, I want all the men around me to know that, aha, I want some attention, dishonoring to God. Those, those are, that's what we're saying. All right, tradition, tradition. What about traditions? Verse, uh, we'll go back to verse two and three. Well, what I, he says, now I commend you because you know, you remember me and everything to maintain these traditions. He's talking about the traditions, uh, and he, he says this, that when it comes tr- to tradition, um, I want us to see that, that some of you are like to- totally traditional, and you're just like, I love traditions. I love traditions. Some of you, uh, whether it be Christmas traditions, family traditions, you love traditions. There's another group of people who just don't like traditions and always want to chart the new path. There's two types of humans out there, and uh, you're probably married to the opposite. And so this is just the reality of, of where we're at in, in hu- mankind. Uh, opposites really do attract. And so what he's saying here, though, however, uh, I want us to see that, that the, the, the root principle in traditions is that traditions are fine, provided they don't, pro- they don't defy God. This is what we need to understand. So the new tradition and norm of our day is that uh, 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 men would wear women's necklaces and men would wear, paint their fingernails and, and men would uh, uh, put on uh, feminine uh, apparel. That's the new tradition in our world today. If you don't know it, it, it's everywhere. Even in sports, like even professional athletes showing up with women's uh, uh, um, uh, pantsuits and like doing these things that this is becoming norm and the reason is is because they're trying to dismantle the gender norms of society those are direct quotes from the culture so that's what's going on so if you don't know that's happening it's coming it's happening and it's it's flooding the world and so that the the the, the desire to create traditions and a cultural norm that defy god's natural order isn't okay. Christians don't partake in that. So traditions are good provided they don't defy what God says, even if it's permissible uh, uh, according to the culture, okay? And so in our day, I'm going to talk about two norms or two traditions that are at odds, and they're spoken to here in our text. And those two traditions are that of marriage and gender norms. That's, he, it's all over everything I just, we just read. And so I mention this because our text plays into it, speaks to it, and our culture is actually actively trying to obliterate these two traditions, that being marriage and gender norms. Even back in 2020, the Black Lives Matter organization said openly, publicly, uh, and they later took it down, but quote, they, they, they were seeking to disrupt the nuclear family and dismantle the patriarchal practice. One man, one woman, one life, man, head over the the woman, Jesus, head over the man. Everything we're talking about, they were openly, publicly seeking to dismantle and destroy. That was their, that's what they said. Then when they caught flack for it, they took it down because, you know, peace and diversity. But that continues to move forward in our culture, this desire to dismantle these traditions that are rooted in creation. I could care less about a tradition that's not rooted in creation. Like, if you want to tell your kid about Santa Claus or not Santa Claus, or, and I know kids are in here, and so, you know, St. Nicholas, whatever. Uh, I'm the jerk now. I don't know. Shoot. They want to destroy the nuclear family. We'll go back to that one. They want to mess up marriage. And what God created, any other tradition that may or may not be biblical is, is, is open for interpretation and open to, as long as it doesn't defy God's word. In essence, they want to destroy what God built. 
But this is what Satan's been doing from the beginning of creation. He wants to disrupt and destroy what God created. He created Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve, made in his likeness and his image, and they were in submission, and they were full of joy. Imagine, the Garden of Eden was pretty awesome. Like, they were walking with God, talking to him. They could hear his voice. They were also, like, you know, seeing, you know, birds and getting to talk with them, hang out with them. And, and also, they were, like, you know, seeing deer, and they're, like, probably feeding them. This was awesome. This was, like, every, like, the garden was fun. And all of a sudden, Satan shows up, and he wants, what does he want to do? He wants to disrupt what God created. He wants to distort the reality and say, hey, God's withholding from you. You're not really actually having fun. Like, no, no, we were, like, having a lot of fun. No, that's not fun. You don't even know what fun is. Imagine if you eat from the tree that God doesn't, oh, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree. That'll, you'll have fun. You're like, well, I think we are having fun. You'll have more fun. You'll be like God. We are like God. Yeah, but just trust me. I have no reason, no evidence, nothing but lies to tell you, but so just trust me. That's the essence of evil. Just, just trust me. Nothing makes sense in the world that God created. Nothing makes sense naturally or, you know, according to God's word. It doesn't make any sense, but just, just trust me. And mankind, Adam and Eve, were deceived. Satan's always trying to destroy what God built. And so when it comes to tradition, we have to ask two questions. When it comes to traditions, any tradition, you have to ask two questions. Number one, is this merely a custom of the time? Because some are. Or is it a transcendent principle that must be applied to all peoples in all times? So we need to ask that about the head covering. Is this head covering, uh, is it a, uh, a, a custom, simply a custom, or is it a, a transcendent principle that must be applied to all peoples at all times? So some will even say marriage and gender norms, that's a customary thing. And things like biology, uh, sex, marriage, gender, all these things are just customs that need to change with the times. And so we got to ask that question, is that what he's saying? Well, God roots everything in Scripture. Paul, the writer, roots all this thing in, in creation. In the beginning, God created them, what? Male and female, binary genders. Any deviation from that is a counterfeit. So we know that God's word can't contradict itself. And so when it comes to tradition, we got to look at, uh, does it fit with God's word? Does it fit with God's word? And so the tradition of a man being the head of his wife, we can't get away from that. We can't get away from that. It's rooted in creation. It's also rooted in the created order. God did that. And so some will say, well, this just feels very patriarchal, and this feels way outdated. Well, it is dated. It's dated all the way back to the beginning when God created. And we, we, don't, we don't shy away from that. Because in the beginning, God set things, in, he set things up in, for our good and flourishing, and we rebelled against him. One way to get back to flourishing is to stop rebelling against God. And so, who created marriage? God. Who created gender? God. Who created male and female? God. Who instituted marriage? God. Who calls the shots? God. That's what we're saying. We're going back to what did God say? And despite, some will say, that... Uh, Despite what anyone says, this is the Bible is emphatically clear on this. And this whole text that we're that we're reading here today hinges on this reality that God is God, we are in subject to Him. A husband is the head of the wife. The wife is is uh, in subject to her husband, and that uh, mankind is in subject to to Jesus and Jesus, God the Father. The whole text hinges on this. And so the symbol of the head covering or veil is what, what it does is it's actually pointing to that transcendent principle. All, that, that, that God is God and Jesus is head of man and husbands are head of their wives. 
That is what he's saying. That's the transcendent pr principle. The wife is submitted to her husband, and she is the helper. That is the transcendent principle. Now, the type of symbol is customary. The customary symbol is not the principle. It's not the transcendent principle. So if a woman wants to wear a veil, cool. And in, 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 in symbol of submission to her husband, she's free to. Uh, but what she's not free to do is usurp her husband's authority. Just like men, you are not free to usurp Jesus. And so some, of you, some men will wield this irresponsibly. We're going to get to that in a moment. Nor is a, uh, so, so the modern customary symbol likely for us in America is that of a, a wedding band. Um, it is a symbol of, of submission to your spouse. All right, so that's, that's the tradition. Now what we're going to do is look at authority. So uh, 1 Corinthians 13, or 11, 3 says this, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of, his, uh, or in the, head of the wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. The issue here is authority. The issue is authority. Now, I, uh, I agree with feminists on this. I agree with them that oftentimes men are a problem. I disagree with the solutions. I agree with oftentimes the problems. There's a lot of men who use their masculinity in an evil, wicked, vile way. And we're totally against that. And so we're, we, and it comes really down to two different types of men, uh, which in my opinion, they're the same type of men. But uh, it's the beta male um, and it's the wannabe alpha male. Both are betas, just so you know. The, the beta male and the wannabe alpha male, which is still a beta. And I'll say this, beta males are sins. That is a sin. And I'll quote to you what the culture even defines alpha and beta as to show you that the Bible does still call those definitions sin. This is what it says. Alpha male is defined according to uh, culture is that a man who takes responsibility and leads at a high and has a high level of respect. He is often confident, assertive, and, ass and self-assured. Sounds like Jesus. 100%. Some of you are like, is, is he, is he for, I'm 100% being serious. A man who takes responsibility, leads, is respectable, is confident, assertive, assured of himself and his calling. Jesus was all of those. All of them. A beta male, according to culture, is a man who's who, a man tending to assume uh, uh, and a passive or sub, uh, subservient role. Adam is a beta male. Passivity, punting on responsibility. When, it, when God calls men to lead, shrink back in fear. This is not godly. And I'll tell you this, an alpha male in our culture and society, according to this definition, is viewed as toxic. Beta is viewed as like godly. So you see a lot of churches where, you know, the pastors and the people, they're all beta males because the culture says that's what's safe and normal. That's not. Moms who have young boys may struggle to figure out, like, they're, they're rambunctious and hard to contain and control because they're male. They're born in the image and likeness of God with different skill sets, and they buck authority sometimes. They need to be in submission, but they're rambunctious. They're loud. Like, my boys, they fight, and it's like they're playing, and that's all they know how to do is, like, hit one another, stab one another, fight one another, but they're very gentle towards their, their sisters, we're going to talk about that. So beta males are, are, are those who are passive like Adam. 
when Adam was supposed to step up, lead, take responsibility, defend, love, and serve his wife Eve, he did not. The serpent shows up, Satan shows up, and talks to his wife. Satan is talking to his wife, and Adam's just listening. I don't know, what is he saying? I wonder what he's saying. Oh, well, really, he's just listening to her be deceived. Adam should have, at that moment, chopped the head off that serpent right then and there. He doesn't. He's passive. He's not a leader. He's not helpful. Wannabe alphas, however, these are the, the toxic domineering guys in our society. These are the they're, they're beta males as well. They're insecure, so they're going to, they're gonna, and they, they, they really, they're scared for their life, and they, they really aren't uh, secure. They really aren't uh, um, uh, leaders. They really aren't um, respectful, respectful. They're not confident. They're, they're really not confident in who God made them to be or their calling, and so they, they act out in a domineering, violent fashion, oftentimes being abusive. Uh, they're taking their God-given mass masculine strength and using it in selfish ways. This is uh, the same thing that a beta male does. He punts on his, his masculinity. Uh, the, the, the wannabe alpha uses it for his own selfish means, not to love, serve, lead like Jesus. And so this man is toxic. Not that masculinity is toxic, but you can have toxic men. And so betas want to surrender. They surrender their masculine authority. And wannabe alphas... Uh, don't want to be under authority. I want you to see this. The wannabe alpha males, these are men who don't want to be under authority. Jesus was under authority. Who is he under the authority of? God the Father. So men who are like independence, freedom, I don't need anyone telling me what to do. Forget the government. Forget God. Forget the government maybe, but forget God. You know, I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. Toxic men. That's a toxic man. A man who's not submitted to biblical or spiritual authority is a problem. He is not a part of the solution. I need, this is where the feminists and I agree. We agree that type of man is a problem. But also, to offend those type of men, I want you to know you're just like a feminist. You don't want authority. A feminist is like, I don't need my, need my husband to be my authority. I'm my own authority. Forget anyone. I'm my own person. Guess what a wannabe alpha male is? Just, he's a feminist. He's a trans feminist. That's what he is. That's what he is. Take that one up. All right. He's a trans feminist. That's a good one. That's really good. Like, that's what he is. He is. He is. True biblical masculinity is one where a man is under authority. Before he's in authority. Jesus was in authority and under authority. Number two, what makes a man truly masculine is not just being under authority, but also being responsible. Another thing men in our day have lost. Responsibility. To be a man, to not be a child, to move from boy to manhood means to be responsible. The beta male punts his responsibility. The alpha male abuses his responsibility. The godly, true masculine alpha male is it, who is responsible for himself first, his relationship with God. He's then responsible for his wife and her relationship with God. He's then responsible for his kids and their relationship with God. He's then responsible for the work to provide, to love, serve, and protect, and lead his family. And then he, he then has whatever domains that God gives him outside of his home to continue to showcase the glory of God where he lives, work, and plays. He's responsible in all those areas. So, man, man if you find that you're, you don't know what to do, the first thing is to take responsibility for yourself in your relationship with Jesus. 
Second, if you're married, you take responsibility for your wife. If you've got kids, you take responsibility for them. This, was Adam's, this is what Adam did. Even, even if you're like, no, nah, that rubs me wrong, God will still call you into account. Even though Adam was passive, God showed up. Even though Adam was the beta male in the moment, God shows up and says, hey, Adam, what's up, bro? What happened? He calls Adam into the count. What does he do? Well, the woman made me do it. Coward. Jesus shows up, confronts him, God walking with him, saying, hey, you can't, Adam, you're responsible for this. You're responsible. And so I need us to see this. Man, you're responsible, and you're responsible to Jesus. And that should give you a little bit of, you know, fear. If you read Revelation, you see when Jesus comes back, he's coming on a white horse. He's got a tattoo on his leg. He's got a sword uh, drenched in the, and he's drenched in the blood of his foes. Like, he's a scary dude. Like, he, he is a lamb. He is a lamb. And men, you should be a lamb. You should be a lamb and tender towards women and children. But also, you should be a, a warrior for your women and children and all those in, your society, in our society and our culture. And to defend the weak and vulnerable, we should step up and lead. That is what a man is. That's what Jesus does. And so... A wife is accountable to God for her sin, but a man is responsible. He is responsible. Jesus, the most masculine man who ever lived. This is the heart of the gospel. I want us to see this. The heart of the gospel is that Jesus Christ takes responsibility for sin that is not his. Praise be to God for this. So there's no salvation for any of us in here. If Jesus doesn't take responsibility for your sin, you've got to pay for it. Who, take, who took responsibility for it? Jesus Christ on the cross, dying in your place for your sins. He says, not my sin, but my, my, my responsibility. Not my sin, but my responsibility. I'm actually going to pay for their, their penalty with my life. And I'm going to offer them everything that I've earned. My inheritance, my everything. I'm going to sacrifice everything. I'm going to give them what they don't deserve. I'm going to receive what I don't deserve because I'm a man. I take responsibility. I have a calling. I'm submitted to the will of God the Father. I'm not going to deviate. I'm not going to be a coward. I'm not going to back down. But I'm going to lean, lean forward and lead and take it on the chin for the team, die in the, play, die in the place of mankind for their sins, raise victorious from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, death, in the grave, and chartering a course for the men who follow Jesus and not Adam to do moving forward. When Paul says you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church, it's not just sacrificing, doing things you don't want to do. It's taking responsibility and leadership like Jesus. Ephesians 5.33 says this. So the issue here is that in the world we live in, that men need to, to step up and, and be, take responsibility, and they need to, uh, to, to love, honor, serve, bless women and children, and then wives respecting their husbands. Respecting their husbands. And so we're seeing this, what Paul's addressing in the church with the head covering is, is this, this publicly shaming, a wife publicly shaming her husband when she's showing up to church, she's taking off her veil. Like that's what's going on. There's a public shaming. This sometimes happens in our culture uh, in, in different ways, ladies. Uh, sometimes you, you disrespect your husband through criticizing him publicly to your friends when he's in, around, mocking him. Uh, rolling your eyes, that's my favorite one that I see, um, is that uh, I'm not saying in my wife, because uh, she's never done this. Um, 
Uh, <laughs> but what I am saying is that we s- I see this all the time. And not just here, but in the world around, I, I watch these dynamics play out. Uh, additionally, uh, you sometimes see it, uh, ladies, and you don't mean to, but you're, it's disrespectful to your husband, and they feel it, is when um, you see like a guy at on church, he's, he's picking up all the chairs, and he's serving, and you're like, man, I wish you would serve like that at our house. I wish you'd pick up around our house. What you're doing is publicly shaming and dishonoring him. That's what you're doing. And you're like, well, it's true. It's true that you are publicly shaming and dishonoring him. I agree. We do that with our words sometimes, ladies. And so what that actually might indicate is, is there, there's this own, in your own heart, some uh, unresolved bitterness and resentment. And if that's true, husbands, and you find that your wife is, you know, uh, lashing out and disrespecting you publicly, guess what? She's accountable for that to God, but you're responsible. You've got to figure out how to create an environment in your home where you can talk about that. Maybe you can't talk about that in your home because you created a toxic environment because every time she brings something up, you get upset and you, you have a tone that's, a, that's loud, abusive, domineering, and she feels threatened and unsafe. If that's you, just remember the white horse Jesus. He's looking at you. Eyes are blood, filled with red and he's looking at you. That's his daughter. Treat her like so. Gender. Gender. Okay, I, 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 I put up Ephesians uh, 5... 33, that's what it says. It says, wives, uh, husbands love your wives, and wives respect your husbands. Gender now. 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 7 through 12, it says this, and for man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. Um, and so we've talked about this, uh, about the, the head covering. Now I want us to speak to these specific gender roles. We talked about, and we're talking about gender now. So we've already established that the husband is the head of the wife, and that's rooted in creation, Right? Men compliment, men and women compliment, they don't compete. Matthew Henry says this. He says, uh, Eve was not taken out of the, the, out, out of the head of Adam uh, uh, so that he would trample her. But he, or sorry, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head uh, to, to be on top of him. Neither was she, was, was she taken out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. That was Matthew Henry, one of the Puritans. He said this about marriage. And so a woman was created for man, the, the, our text says. It says a woman was created for man. A, a wife is a, a helper. Ladies, I need you to see this. This is a good thing. A wife being a helper, companion, friend is a good thing. Actually, it's a very good thing. For it was the only thing that God said was not good, that man would be alone. Adam, on his best day with no sin, is still needed a helper. I need you to see this. We look around, you see a bunch of single guys. It's very clear they need helpers. And I've been open and honest about my life as a single guy. I never washed my sheets the entire life of my singleness. Ever. My wife might argue you still don't. Um, but that would be disrespectful to say that publicly. Uh, <laughs> but, right, this is, uh, this, th- I had, when you looked at the walls, because I didn't even have a bed frame or anything, you just look at the walls, and you're like, why is there grease all over the white walls? Like, yeah, gross, single man, I needed help. Didn't wash dishes, it's just really bad. Uh, I've, I've, I've changed a lot. You look at a single man, you know he needs help. But ladies, I need you to see it's not just for those things. It, it's, it's a good thing. God created it that way. Um, uh, the wife is to come alongside a husband. I need you to hear this. The, to come alongside her husband and help on his mission. That's how, what, right, the woman was created to help Adam. A- Eve was created to help Adam. What this means is that men, you need a mission. 
Some of you single ladies, you're like, I can't find a man because there's not a guy on a mission. I agree. Men who are not on a mission are not marriageable. They got to grow up. They need a mission. They need to be doing something. They need a purpose. They need to be seeking the glory of God. And so, single ladies, if you're looking for a husband, I'll tell you what you should look for. You should look for, number one, a man who's under authority, who's a part of a local church in submission to the elders and wants to be. So, single guys, if you want a wife, this is what you got to do. That's your first step. Be an authority to Jesus. Number two, you're looking for a man who takes responsibility for himself and others. Imagine that both spiritually for his own relationship with God, but also he's willing to take responsibility and help lead, love, serve in humility, practically. Number three, he has a mission. He has a mission, meaning he knows his God. He knows what God's called him to do. I'm not saying he has to have a lifelong vocation, but he has a purpose. He purposed in, in his life that he needs someone to come alongside and help him. And together, by the glory of God, complementing one another, display the glory of God, not just in their marriage, the way they love, you love one another, but by continuing the mission that Jesus has laid out for you, together, complementing, not competing. And so, what Paul is speaking to here, ladies, he, he's saying that you're, you're not just a helper to some dude, but to your husband. What he's not saying is that women are in submission to every man. And that all, all women have to be uh, submission to, like, if, if, he, if your boyfriend, you're dating some guy, and, like, he's, he's the head. No, he's not. He's not. Your father is. And if you don't have a father, a spiritual father of the church is head over you. And they're to, to love, serve, and protect you. So, men, you know your marching orders. Ladies, and like, okay, well, now I know what to look for. I don't know if those exist. What do I do in the meantime? Well, Titus 2 Three through five, Paul, same author, or, uh, is writing to this young pastor, Titus, and he, uh, same author, First Corinthians, he's writing to the women, and he's trying to help them understand how to live, life, love, serve, uh, and continue ministry, because that's what actually Paul is talking about in First Corinthians, when they're praying and, and prophesying, what he's speaking about is ministry inside the context of the church. So women, what are we supposed to do? Do we have ministry, or is it our only ministry to get married and have, and have children? No, that's not your only ministry. But it is this. Older women, likewise, you are to be reverent in behavior. So first part, we're not trying to be cool, but we, we want to be holy in our behavior. So first thing, ladies, take responsibility for yourself as well. Be holy in your behavior. Whether you're an older woman or a younger woman, you should be doing that. And if you're older women, specifically, you shouldn't be uh, slanderers. Uh, you know, you're not gossiping. Um, but you're also not a slave to much wine. You're not hanging out with the, all, you know, you see the girls coming, you know, the younger girls coming uh, the happy hour after they get off their job, and they're, you know, having their mojitos, and you're not like, you don't have to go and try to be cool with them and slam back 16 of them and, you know, try to fit in. Don't need to. But you do need to be a Bible teacher. And they, so these, so women need to be able to teach what is good. Women should teach the Bible. They should be really good Bible teachers. And so train younger women to do what? Teach the Bible, but also to love their husbands and children. See, what Paul does is he connects the home, the life, the created order, and the ministry of the woman together. He doesn't, he, he doesn't, he blo they're, they're connected to him. Oftentimes we go to church and it's like, well, here's the husband's duties and the wife's duties, and then we got to have the single's duties and the, the single men, the single women, and then we have to have the youth, and it's all blurred, and we have all these different categories. It's male and female. That's all it is. And so the older women are to train the younger women. They're to use the Bible, teach them what is good. 
So, ladies, you should be being discipled, trained to know God's word. If you don't have uh, an older woman or a woman helping you do that, we have discipleship groups. We want you to be involved in them. We want to help you do that. If you're an older woman and you want to find someone uh, younger to specifically do that, to help them uh, love their husbands and children because maybe they're just having children, go seek them out on purpose. You do that. Older women, you do that on purpose. He's not saying younger women go find older women. Younger women, you can do that. You can. But older women, he explicitly says, go find the younger women. Go seek them out. Teach them. I know so many younger women are like, I just wish someone would come help me. Yes, we're supposed to. To love their husbands and their children. To teach them the Bible. And maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you're single. Maybe you don't have kids and you're, you're a, a younger woman. And, you, and you're like, well, I can learn from some older women. But what do I do in the meantime? I, I want to teach the Bible. to Yeah, find someone younger than you to teach the Bible to. Or a peer that's your same age that's a new Christian. Teach them the Bible. Do it. Serve in the kids' ministry. We teach the Bible to our children. There's all these opportunities to teach and develop your gift of teaching. Teach disciple those who are younger than you. They could be one year younger than you or uh, 10 years younger. If you're an older than someone younger than you, it's your job to go pursue them. And if, I'll tell you this, younger guys and younger girls, if you don't have, if, if, if there's someone, they won't listen, you run to them and quote them this verse, okay? That's what we're doing. Train the, the love, the, the, train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, not like our culture, pure, not sexually deviant like our culture, Working at home, not dishonoring the home like our culture. Kind, not like our culture. Submissive to their own husbands, as 1 Corinthians has taught us already, that the word of God may not be reviled. He says it. That's what he says. So ladies, you take your cues from the scriptures. Men, you take your cues from the scriptures. We're all under the authority of Jesus. I'll end with this. Before we take communion, men, you are the glory of God, he says. He says, he says, for man ought to not cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. Men, you are to reflect God. God is father to your children. Jesus Christ as leader, big brother, servant to the church, savior of the church to your wife, to your children. Men, you are the glory of God. I need you to know, despite what culture says, you don't need to be shamed in forsaking your masculinity. But you must be a man who submits to authority. Be a man under authority before you wield authority. Additionally, take responsibility. Grow up, own up, take responsibility, act like a man, stop blaming, stop playing the victim, grow up. What we want to do here at the well is to do two things. We want to build men that they would be the type of men who look like Jesus. And we want to create an environment through male leadership that also the women come alongside as helpers and that we create an environment in our, in our, in, in, in our church, a little city within a city, a counterculture in our world where women and children flourish. Women and children are not flourishing out there and men are not leading out there. At the, in the church of Jesus, at the Well Community Church, men will lead sacrificially, servant hearts, boldly, take responsibility, and we'll create environments for, for women and children to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, and exercise and use their gifts and their ministry to, to be a blessing and to flourish according to our specific design. God calls the shots. We submit to him. Jesus is our great God and king. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to lead us through a time of response that we're taking of communion.